1: 18
2: plus I woke up at 5 a.m and put on my camouflage
3: I'm a
4: I'm a And welcome aboard for hour number two of Jim Strader Outdoors. We're doing open lines in the second portion of the program. The numbers to call in 571. 8484 or 1-800-444-8484. We got John on hold. And Gary, we were visiting with you before the break, and you were talking about what I call slop from the distilleries. Is that correct?
5: Yeah, that's correct. They, uh, like Jim Beam Distillery and uh, all the other distilleries, uh, give it out to people to stuff with, and – how does that will that affect? I, I like I said, I feed about 75 to one hundred deer a year, and uh, how will that affect? Will that affect them the same way? Would it uh, would it be bad for them to give it to them or what?
4: You're asking if if deer could eat it.
5: Yeah, I know cattle
4: can. Well, I I believe but so. I mean, that's that's a great question for the folks that fish and wildlife, or perhaps from folks who. uh Raised deer for meat and what have you. Uh, I don't I, think it's against the law. Pardon me. It ain't
5: against the law to feed it to them.
4: Uh, don't sir. And I didn't know if it would hurt
5: them in any
4: way. I'm probably not the person to answer that. You check with the biologists up at Fish and Wildlife. Off the top of my head, I do not think it would uh, hurt them because. Um. Uh, They are ruminants as well. Sir?
5: Sir, and everything else, if they would love.
4: Yes, sir. I'm aware of that. Give them a call. They'll be glad to tell you that.
5: Okay. I enjoy listening to your show. I kind of listen to it every week. I ain't been listening to it by two months, but keep up the good job. I mean, you're doing a real good job.
4: Thank you, Mark. I really do appreciate that. Let's go to John, who's been on hold. We got Mark and Joel right after you. Hey, John, how are you tonight?
5: I'm doing good, Jim. You?
4: I'm doing very well, thank you.
5: I have a question about Martins. I had a a pair of them earlier in the summer, and I guess their babies have done hatched and uh, they're gone now. Do they they, they leave now at this time of the year or what?
4: No, they'll stay here and feed uh, for some time and then they'll migrate in the fall. They tend to disperse a bit after the nesting process and they get their young out of the nest, but uh, they usually will turn there to roost. Have you not seen them roosting there since?
5: No, haven't seen them at all.
4: Are there starlings or, or English sparrows that took over those nest sites after they got their babies off, do you know? I don't see nothing flying
5: on them at all. We're we'll going to have to check them and clean them out, I guess.
4: But... Yes, that's what I would recommend. That, uh, If nothing else, uh, you provided them a great nursery to, for this year, and by cleaning it out and getting it ready for the next go-around, they'll be more than willing to repeat the process. It's an amazing thing, the way they know how to return to those sites and utilize them. That's pretty
5: neat. But they're they were pretty aggressive. I'd get out there just a little bit up here in the yard, and they'd dive down at me and carry on. It's funny. And I love
4: to watch them
5: fly.
4: They're, they're a neat bird. They really are.
5: Yeah. Well, you take
4: care. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Before we go to Mark and Joe, I do have some information. Uh, one of my consultants with the Berbers industry texted me and, and said that distillery stillage uh, needs additives to make it palatable for deer and other wildlife. It runs about 30% protein. I don't know what those additives are, but uh, that's a word to the wise that's being passed along to me, so I thought it I'd put that out there in regard to the previous caller that asked about that. Let's go to Mark who's been on hold. Hey Mark, how are you?
6: Hey Jim, how you doing? I'm doing fine, sir. Good. Hey, um last week I was over in southern Indiana there in Georgetown there and uh had a doe walk out in front of the road and ran, and she got them turned around, and there
4: was three fawns that walked out right behind her, and uh, all three of them looked pretty healthy. She's a good, and, uh, she's a good uh, mammy if she's got three of them up and running. I can tell you that.
6: Yeah, well, they was you know they was you know good size looking, and uh, you know they was right there with her. so uh, you know it's a positive thing right there.
4: You bet, so. you bet.
6: Yep, yep.
4: And that's that's uh, a bit okay. unusual. It's not. Rare, I won't say it's rare, but it is right. unusual. And and to my point, she has sequestered those young ones in areas where the coyotes and and what have you didn't get to them and got them up and yeah. running. And once they're up and running for a while, they're they're much more capable of making it to a full life. So she's she's a good mother. There's no doubt.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of coyotes over in that area, there though. But you know. Uh, but other than that, it was it. Hey, I, I do have one other question for you, real quick. All right. And uh, just um, do you know, or maybe any of your listeners out there can send a message in of any um, local uh, indoor archery ranges that are open or running right now?
4: Well, uh, Bartstown Mills has a range. Okay. And, and it's an excellent one, I might add. And and they have a range over in Cordon, in Indiana. At okay, gun, all right. At Gun World.
6: Okay, all right. Well, I appreciate that very much. Yes,
4: sir. Those are both first-class indoor ranges. And look them up. I think you'll like what you see there. Let's go to uh, Joe, who's been on hold. Hey, Joe.
3: Hi, Jim. Listen, uh, in regards to that warehouse fire, and this may be more appropriate for a firefighter to answer this, but... I was just curious, do you think it would be more advisable to let those fires burn rather than try to put them out because if they burn they, you that stuff's going to burn up and maybe not run off
4: well but, i understand where you're coming from, and in a previous life, I was a firefighter I was at six's engine here in louisville uh when i was oh, okay. young when I was a younger man here's Here's the problem once okay. those barrels start to explode and that thing gets for lack of a word, better word, cataclysmic. You know, it's got a life of its own, and honestly, a lot of the chemicals that can be applied to that river of burning whiskey, if you will, um, are, are just as harmful, if not more so, than the the uh, actual bourbon and its effects upon the water. So, it, it's a kind of a it's just problematic. I'll, I'll put that way now. If they're there early enough to get a hold of it before it gets to that super explosive stage, uh, those firefighters in those areas around the distilleries do have the proper chemicals and training to mitigate it as best they possibly can. And, and uh, but I, I will tell you that is when that when that call comes in to a firehouse, they know they're up against it when they leave the station it's it's bad i I mean it's gonna be a rough and very very dangerous day so i remember
3: the heaven hill fire in particular i think they lost i don't know five to nine warehouses i think in one day but yeah that was uh that was pretty horrible
4: yeah that one as i stated uh too i guess that's a good one for us to point at let's talk about that one for a minute because it's in the past and my memory of it's a little sketchy, but as I recall, what happened there, one caught on fire. If I remember right, it's from a, a lightning strike, and when it got rolling, that whiskey was like a lava yep. flow. It went from one uh, warehouse right. to another, and yep, sure when, when that kind of situation gets rolling, it, it's a horrible spectacle. I mean, it really yeah. is. So. Uh, I guess this would well, be a, a great place in time to thank the firefighters and whatever the efforts they had. I, I'll promise you there's probably several aspects to that that we don't know about that they helped from getting a bad situation that could have been worse. So
3: Yeah. Well, maybe they'll have to figure out something down the road, maybe some... Maybe a moat or something around each warehouse maybe would help. I don't know. But- well, that's
4: that's what I was speaking of. What, what Wild Turkey did—they built berms, earthen berms around all of their warehouses. In uh-huh. the two big warehouses they had on the Salt River that were too close to the water, to have a type of containment, they took it upon themselves to take all those barrels of whiskey and move them to uh, warehouses that did have the berm protection. And then, uh-huh. and then they they did away with those warehouses because they felt that they weren't in there or the public's best interest. And in that regard, hats off to them. That's a, I think, a marvelous example for the entire industry is the way they mm-hmm. stepped up after their unfortunate situation. So,
3: all right. Well, thank you, Jim, and I love listening to you every Sunday night.
4: Hey, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I I love being here for you all, and I do my best to. To get the information out the best that way I know how, so
3: you do a good job, man.
4: Thank you, sir. I, I deeply appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Shane. Yes, Shane, you're up.
5: Program, I've got uh, two
0: quick questions for you. Uh, one, any idea other than just purely arbitrary why Kentucky puts a minimum for elk at 270 when the most popular? Cartridge in the country, of course, six and a half creed more seems to work in uh, just fine in all sorts of other elk states. And then, second is more of a, a FYI for your audience. Um, Attorney General Bashir has in his office right now an official opinion request from Representative Goforth that asks on what legal basis may any Kentuckian be disarmed at any public location. Of course the answer to that is that constitutionally there is nowhere in this state that you may be compelled to be disarmed. You might have to do it openly. But the state legislature and Kentucky Bill of Rights, Article One, Section Seven, clearly is forbidden from legislating on anything other than concealed carry. And of course why that's important is it would put it would turn on its head the argument that uh, we we have in this state as to how to best protect school children, for example. Uh, this idea that there are the, the legislature can declare gun free zones at schools, campuses, etc. they don't have that power. But uh, to recap, why 270 minimum? And then the other is just to make people aware that Attorney General Bashir has uh, his office has a, a six month traditional window to give opinions and august the 15th is when that that uh my it'll get
4: very interesting given that he's a democrat nominee in this election year well Shane let me take uh i'll, I'll just do them in the order you you preferred the 270 uh requirement came as a result of the commissioners reaching out to folks uh around the state and their knowledge of of Hunting and they just decided that 270 was the minimum. It was, um, I guess you got to stop somewhere. And they felt 270 caliber and up was a uh, 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 caliber sufficient to take elk. And, and I sure. would have to say the 270 is up to it, but it's a little on the light side, honestly. Um, uh, as you know, it's all about bullet placement and right. done properly. You know, there's smaller calibers that would absolutely kill an elk, but they felt like for the average person to be in the field and harvest an elk, given, you know, all the parameters, that 270 was a good good caliber to settle upon as the minimum. So, uh, Got it. I, I, I guess you could say that was an arbitrary decision, but I'm okay with it, honestly. I mean, I, if someone wants to shoot game with a 6.5 or whatever, have at it. Let deer be your target. <laughs> uh you know, you got plenty of opportunity to use the weapon if if you want to. Secondarily, uh about this uh Attorney General's opinion, I not I'm not up to speed on that. Uh, there's all kind of questions about that in my mind immediately in the constitutionality one way or the other, honestly. I guess part of what's gonna weigh into that is that now we can carry without concealment. I'll be interested to see what the Attorney General's office comes up with because that's, I would think, a bit of a hot potato right now. <laughs> well, exactly, and, uh, you know, it, it, uh,
0: it's going to be a situation, and I would encourage all your listeners to look it up. Dutch Bill Rights, Article 1, Section 7, it's explicit. The legislature may only legislate concerning the concealed carry of firearms. Therefore, uh, and if if those who may doubt me, just go to the state capitol, and you will see that uh, there are no efforts to restrict the open carry of firearms at the capitol. It's proof positive for those who are hoplophobes and and have a fear of, of firearms, that if they could ban the carry of over carry anywhere, they would carry. They would ban it at the state capitol. and they can't. They they know that they legally can't. And so, so the the attorney general's gonna be faced with issuing an opinion in which he uh, agrees with the Representative Bill that legally no one can tell can, can be compelled to be disarmed anywhere in public, or he's going to be faced with situations saying,
5: now who are you going to believe, me or your lying eye?" So.
4: Well, I, I will tell you, every time I've been up to the legislature, and last time I was up there was uh, back during the session, uh, we were screened for firearms or knives at, at the door.
0: Walk in there openly carrying, it, and they cannot stop you.
4: Well, I'm not going to be the guy to argue with the state trooper standing there if he tells me I cannot, but we'll we'll get our head around that. I'll be glad to report on that as as the opinion comes out, Shane, I appreciate it. All right. all right, folks, we got to go to break. We got Eric and James on hold. The numbers to reach is 571 8484 or 1 800 444 8484. This break is presented by SMI Marine. Go see them. They got some great deals on all types of used boats, everything from deep V hulls to recreational watercraft, fishing boats. Lots of new boats for sale, and they'll be glad to cure any of the needs you have in the boating field. Go see them. They're good people. Tell them I said, hey, remember, you never get soaked at SMI Marine. Hey, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors, and let's go straight to the phones. we got Eric here. You're up, Eric.
0: Jim, I just wanted to uh, voice the opinion that um, I don't know how many more of these uh, uh distillery company, uh, the liquor firm, uh, spills it's going to require to get our politicians attuned to the uh, glaring inconsistencies in uh, regulation as a broad topic. The uh, chemical, oil, and fuel industries are all, all of which have uh, volatile products. Um, all are compelled as part of the cost of doing business to have uh, corrosion-resistant lined uh, containment facilities and even treatment f- facilities for the um, uh, neutralization and uh, eventual uh, uh, sort of reconciliation of the, these uh, materials uh, into the environment, and um, even the berms you mentioned at one of the firms in the state, berms, um, if they're sized adequately, may contain the spill. But that doesn't account for the uh, sterilization of the uh, soil. I,
4: I soil. understand that.
0: Yeah, uh, but but the I, see the, the consistency to me is, and I don't I don't have a you know a dog in this fight, but. Um, I well, well yeah, that. you do.
4: You're you're expressing an opinion, so you're right. putting your dog in the fight. I must say. Well,
0: but what I mean is, I'm not. I'm not. You know, I don't. I'm not in the industries, any of those industries, and um, and yet, um, I don't see how they can rationalize those requirements on the chemical, oil, and fuel industries, and have this sweetheart arrangement with the. Uh, Liquor business, it's no—it's le- alcohol. It's not—it's it's, no. I don't know what they don't fail to understand here about the uh, uh, what they're dealing with. It's, it's, All right,
4: like the- Eric, I got to go to hard break. If you'd like to hang on, I'll have you on after the break. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Property Heart Realty. Check them out at m o p h a r t Realty
0: I've traveled every road in this here land. I've been everywhere. Bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. I've been to Reno, Chicago, Fargo, Minnesota, Buffalo, Toronto, Winslow, Sarasota, Wichita, Tulsa, Ottawa, Oklahoma, Tampa, Panama, Maddowell, Apple, Paloma, Bangor, Baltimore, Baltimore, Salvador, Amarillo, Tocopilla, Barranquilla, Ambedee, I'm a killer. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere,
4: man. Across the desert, spare, man. I hear you, Johnny. <laughs> That's kind of my credo. At times I do feel the same way. Let's return to Eric, who was gracious enough to stay on hold. Hey, Eric, I uh, want to return to your conversation there and some of your points of interest, if I may. Yes,
0: sir. I'm I'm essentially finished. Uh, yeah, we miss uh, Johnny Cash uh, yeah. uh, as well. Um, my point being that the, the glaring inconsistency between how some – uh, industries with similar uh, possible effluents um, are treated versus the liquor industry. And I, I don't understand why. And uh, that is a significant cost factor in the industries where that is enforced. It almost reminds me, it it, it it's akin to the relationship between Frankfurt and um, the horse racing uh, equine and... Uh, Gambling industries—they—they they get a—they get a sweetheart uh, deal that other businesses uh, can't uh, begin to imagine to ever uh, be the recipients of.
4: Well, let let me return, if I may, to what I pointed to is I think a good corporate citizenship situation that took place at Wild Turkey after their fire in two thousand, and that is the building of those berms that we talked about. And their removal of the two warehouses, where the berms weren't possible. What I think you're leaving out of that equation is after the fire, uh, the soil and those berms are treated just like a hazardous spill. They uh, extract the soil that's been damaged and replace it with with good topsoil. So I understand that. I,
0: understand.
4: Uh, I guess I guess my take on this. Is I think that is a great model for uh, the other distilleries. It it speaks to their desire to do whatever they can to mitigate um, the results of a fire, and we certainly I think should expect that from the industry. Uh, well,
0: but but that is not that's not ruled adjudged uh, adequate. In the chemical, oil, and fuel industries, they—it isn't a matter of them saying, well, "Well, we'll build berms around our storage facilities or plants or whatever, and uh, we'll excavate the uh, material later, the the soil, uh, and replace it and what have you." That's not a—that's not an option for them. They have to have containment that is corrosion resistant, treatment for that recovered uh, uh contained effluent and um this is something that is not um even brought up for the for the liquor industry and i i, I don't well
4: eric uh, let me ask you a question i'm gonna come with this as a fireman how in the hell are you gonna put bird whiskey into a container
0: I'm talking about where it's 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 merely uh, a spill, or a continuing spill where a fire has been extinguished, or maybe where a fire didn't even occur. The lightning situation, I agree, is a is a particularly tif- difficult case, but it's a c- case that the chemical, oil, and and fuel businesses have to deal with as well. But they're forced to have, um, as I say, uh, reliable. Uh, uh, Code-certified uh, facilities that resist, as I say, corrosion and uh, seepage and uh, uh, short-circuiting of any of it to get to our natural resources. I, I don't see. I just don't see the the difference with. Uh, liquor uh possible liquor effluent and I, I just my initial question was how do we how many more of these do we have to have before somebody the politician i blame the politicians more than i do the liquor industry uh it's uh how many more do we have to have before somebody says wait a minute we got to treat this like an oil refinery
4: well i'm on board with you on the need for protection because these types of spills are unacceptable Uh, the, the, the the major kill of our fish and as an ancillary thing, other wildlife, like the mussels in the river and what have you are unacceptable. Uh, I'm on board with you on that. And to your point, uh, maybe legislatively something needs to be done. I, I would say just as a general rule of thumb that the industry better be smart enough to put those measures in place voluntarily or they'll be held to pay down the road because, as I, I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, we've had five major spills here in the last 20 years, and that's not acceptable. They, they, if they're going to utilize our natural resources for their product, they have to protect our natural resources. That's the bottom You're, line. I, cou-
0: I couldn't agree with you more. The okay. uh, the 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 worst outcome will be if voluntary measures are not taken, and uh we have aquatic dead aquatic life piled up at the dam uh, i mean i mean a catastroph totally beyond the imagination catastrophic situation then you'll get the attention of some legislators and and they'll over they'll they'll overkill then
4: well as I mentioned. There are lots of legislators in the counties up and down that river that are aware of what happened here and I would suspect their ears are wide open about the public's astonishment and disgust with what happened. You know, you're talking about sixty some odd miles of river here that took a pretty much a wipeout on fish. Um and, and, yes, and unfortunately happening in July is a big problem because you've lost your fry, your reproductive efforts uh, of those fish in, in, that were in the river uh, at the time this spill occurred. So there's a lot of aspects of this that are really ugly. And it's my understanding that the folks at beam are horrified by what happened and we'll see what they do on the backside of this and, and, Here's, here's the bottom line, there's going to be penalties assessed, and they're not a pretty picture in addition to the loss and the headaches that they've got to go through about rebuilding and dueling with the insurance industry and all the other things that go with this type of a uh, accident. Uh, it would seem to me that it would be prudent for the industry again to – adopt standards where it shows total appreciation and awareness that they are making their living off of our resources. That's that's Strader's opinion on it, okay? Fair enough. All right, Eric, I appreciate your thoughts. All right, let's go to uh James. Yes, James, you're up.
7: Good evening, Gary and, and I mean to Jim and and thanks for for taking my my, my call. Uh, several callers back, you were talking to the issue of the gun carry. My question is since our neighboring states don't have a gun carry, how do you go about getting a license to carry in those states? Now, hang up and listen to you on the air.
4: James, okay. hang on with got me. A good show. Thank you, James. Can you stay with me? Yes, I can. All right, I would prefer that you do. Okay. There are different restrictions in different states and i do not have those off the top of my head most of the states around us uh have similar laws but every state's different and it's in some states you can't even carry in their state border if you cross into their border you're in jeopardy so i couldn't really answer that off the top of my head here on the program tonight i'm sorry but that's that's a little bit above my my reach mentally at, at this stage. I'd have to research all our adjacent states to give you an answer, and I don't have that off the top of my head.
7: Okay. Would the uh, Kentucky State Police be able to advise me on that?
4: I suspect they would, James, and that's an excellent source, and I'd encourage you to do it. You could also, I am sure, Google the NRA. If you're not an NRA member, uh, you Google the NRA, and they, I think, have – information about those type of things available to you.
7: Okay, then that gives me two sources to look at then. Okay, thank you a bunch, Jim. All right, James. Good show.
4: I, I hate to say I don't know, but when I don't know, that's what you're going to get from me. I'm not going to BS my way through anything, certainly. All right, David, uh, you're up.
2: Mr. Strader, good evening, sir. How are you?
4: Hey, Judge, how are you?
2: Good, I'm enjoying your program. Thank you, sir. So where would you rank this uh this bourbon spill in, in terms of uh, totality with compared to the other ones you know about?
4: Uh, this one's a doozy, if you will, a, yeah. a bad doozy. You know, when you're talking about in excess of 3 million gallons, or, or excuse me, uh, 2,385,000 gallons of bourbon spilling into a stream, you know, while the Kentucky River is a big drainage in its length, it's not very wide, if you will. Right. Uh, you know, you can shoot an arrow across it easily in most places with a compound bow. And it, because of that, when you dump that much in there and it, it travels, it, it traveled in what they call a plume. and right. And to the commissioner's educational point about that, it wasn't the alcohol – per se that killed the fish. It, it's the creation of that anaerobic environment, and the carbon feeds uh, these microscopic uh, algaes and what have you that cause an oxygen reversal. So right. when that happens, it's lights out for the fish. I mean,
2: It takes me to another point. You talked about the, you know, the horrible loss of the fish and the mussels and the other... Uh, um, uh, aquatic life, but what about the, the the grasses and and so forth in the rivers and along the banks, where these creatures, uh, you know, God's gifts to this to to mankind. What, what what about the losses of the aquatic uh,
4: vegetation? Um, what grasses, have you?
2: Vegetation, yeah.
4: I I kind of suspect that most of that will bounce back, reason being there was enough current flow to take this plume that was approximately 23 miles in length, if you can imagine that, uh, that flowed down that river. It, it it flowed and came through there fairly rapidly, if you will. Uh, I can give you an example. I was up there doing my own assessments about three days after the spill because I wanted to get my head around it. And it was amazing to me how many fish had already flushed out into the Ohio. Um, I, I didn't see what I, you know, expected to see. And not that that's good news. It's just that it it had all those fish had already, you know, moving over the locks and dams and pushed out with the current into the Ohio River. So,
2: well, let's go fishing, my friend. I'm enjoying your program and uh, uh, enjoy your 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 work and appreciate so much your interest in nature and, and, uh, and our commonwealth, my friend.
4: Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate it. we got to go to break here, folks. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker there. He's a seasoned outdoorsman. He loves to hunt and fish himself. He specializes in wildlife properties, vacation properties, and farms. Got a bunch of them in inventory, and we we'll would be glad to list your property like that. Again, it's Paul Thomas. Check him out at M-O-P-H-A-R-T-Realty.com. Hey, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. I'm going to go straight to the phones. Let's go to Ed. Ed, it says you have a rebuttal. I think I might know on what Eric- you want to talk about, but go ahead.
1: Yeah, on Eric's, on Eric's comment. You know, I think he's he's doing an apples to, to corn ears comparison, to be honest with you. I, I no, agree. The bourbon industry doesn't store bourbon in 55,000-gallon tanks. It's still stores in 55-gallon barrels. And in order for a catastrophic spill to happen without a fire, you know, yes, it's possible, but what's the probability of it? Um, so I think that the berm solution is absolutely a great idea, and I hope that uh, at the other distilleries, We'll, we'll We'll see the value in spending that money to save our resource
4: well, Ed to your point uh in your spot on here, you know there just did any comparison between hydrocarbons and alcohol uh, no i I guess the most important thing I could point to on that is you can't enclose a bourbon warehouse like you would do with petroleum because the to mature. For the whiskey to mature, the barrels have to breathe. Uh, well,
1: and and ultimately, when you're comp- trying to make that comparison, hydrocarbons will not dilute in water. Alcohol will. It's a universal solvent, much like water. So um, I just think it's disingenuous to compare the two.
4: Well, and, but I will say this to Eric's point. He's looking for better... Uh, protection for the environment, and I'm all over that. All day long. Yeah, and I'm sure all we, can, we yeah. can all agree on that. And it, I, I, I hope that as a result of what has happened here, the industry takes it upon itself to do things to stop this from happening because it is an unacceptable result. However, accidents do happen. I mean, they they do. I guess what we need to learn by history and the fact we've had several of these in the last 20 years is, okay, they're going to happen. Now, what do we do to stop?
1: To minim- minimize the damage.
4: Absolutely. What do we do to stop it from destroying our wildlife and our fisheries? So,
1: well, and, and we have enough sportsmen in the state as well as listeners to this show that all it takes is a couple of phone calls to their to their corporate offices and say, hey, what are you going to do to stop this from happening? And I think that'll go a lot, a lot, lo- lot quicker and a lot longer to that end than it will be to try to legislate or regulate it in
4: place. Uh, good point, Ed. I appreciate the call. Let's go to Jim real quick. Jim, I got a minute.
3: Yeah, Jim. Uh, if people will uh, want to carry outside of Kentucky, uh, they do need to. They can still get a Kentucky concealed carry law. Illinois is the only surrounding state that does not have uh, does not allow concealed carry.
4: Okay. Uh, when you travel through Illinois, you have to put your gun in a locked case,
3: and they prefer that it be in a trunk away from the bullets, that they're separate. Uh, the problem with that is a lot of people don't have trunks anymore. <laughs> uh,
4: Jim, I, I've got to go to break here, partner. Okay. I, I appreciate the information very much. Folks, uh, it was great to be with you tonight. I felt it was necessary to give you a fleshed-out version of what's happened with the spill. Again, thanks very much to Commissioner Rich Storm for keeping us abreast of what they've done so far. We'll be looking forward to hearing from the agency about uh, what we can do to replenish the stocks in the river. God bless everybody